Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story, except when we don't. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we are having our annual Halloween special. And joining us is re- returning Protagonist Podcast co-founder, Todd Mack. Welcome back, Todd. Happy to be here. And returning guest, Todd Peterson. Welcome, Todd. Also happy to be here. And as is traditional, we're gonna, when we're going to play a game, producer Andrew will be judging the results. So welcome, yes. Andrew. I'm here. Uh, we are going to be playing a Halloween-themed elevator pitch. We have been given a set of uh, unexpected genre mashes, and we each have penned a potential summary uh, that would fit into those parameters. After each round, Andrew would select the uh, story that he would most like to see uh, greenlit or produced or uh, you know whatever imaginary win he wants to give us, I guess, <laughs> at that point. Uh, and uh, we will... Keep a running tally and see who wins our Halloween special for 2022. I believe this is our seventh annual Halloween special. If anyone wants to feel old, Ooh. that's incredible. But now, yeah, I, I was looking at that like it can't be seven. Like that's closer to a decade than not of us playing a silly game every Halloween. Which I mean, mm. well, why wouldn't we? <laughs> is it only seven? I think it's is, is it seven or is it eight? Let's see. I thought it was. I thought it was going to be nine. No, it's what? Uh, it can't be nine. Uh, let's see. We started. We, we've just. Well, we've recently passed four hundred episodes. Yeah. Let's so see. it's got to be at least eight. Oh, I'll tell you. I'm pulling up our uh, spreadsheet, tracking everything that we've ever done <laughs> on this podcast, and our first Halloween special aired in 2015. Uh, so yeah. So uh, yeah, I guess it would only be seven. Uh, eight, eight, right? This will be our eighth. Oh, yes. This we have done seven. Okay. So feel older than you did just a minute ago. By, but not, I'm not going to do the math live of what but not percentage. not that much older. <laughs> a, a jump it is from seven to eight years, but feel a little bit older. I just love the optimism that we're going to get to Halloween. this is a very hopeful recording i mean we we do uh lean into the evergreen nature of this and often get things in the can well beforehand we are not that far from halloween though that's right i i I don't want to uh to ruin anybody's suspension of podcast disbelief (laughs) and it's not like we're recording this in 2019 uh when there could be some real questions oh all right, uh, Andrew, do you want to help us find out who's going to go first in our game? Yes, uh, as um, as as the most guesty among us, I'm going to have Todd Peterson uh, be heads on this little um, dish that w- that my wife uses for jewelry, and Todd Mack will be tails, mm-hmm. and so whatever that comes up will be the first person, and then we'll do the same for Joe versus the loser. That sounds like a Tom Hanks movie. All right, the volcano one, right? (laughs) Okay, it it landed uh, heads up, so that is Todd Peterson. All right, and and by that I mean you know plate catcher side up. All right, so now we're gonna find out who's going second. Yes, so 
now Todd Mack is on the top and and Joe, if it lands upside down, you will go second. OK. Is face up again. All right. So it'll be Todd Peterson, Todd Mack, then me, and we will rotate around, you know, through that order each round. Sounds good to me. All right. And uh, like Todd, Todd, Joe, Todd, Todd, Joe. <laughs> Whoever's at the top does get to choose which of these absurd combinations we will be presenting a plot for. So Todd Peterson, why don't you Ooh. tell us what the prompt was and then let us know your summary. I'm going to come out big. I want to do invisibility potion plus Regency romance. All right, here, real quick, before we get to our first summary, uh, I just have one question. Todd Mac first. We have, I believe... Is it seven prompts or eight? Let's let me double eight. check. If we eight prompts. How many do you feel confident you may win? Zero. Zero. Okay, Todd <laughs> Peterson. Two. Okay, I'm going for a clean sweep of all eight. That's my goal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I suppose that I'll probably win some, but I can't. I could not tell you which ones they would be. I mean, Matt is positioning himself as the underdog. In reality, there's one that I feel very good about. And then several of them, like, oh, I, I might have something here. But there's one where I'm like, if I don't win this one, my night may be ruined, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, let's hear it. Invisibility po- potion plus Regency romance. Okay. So I'm imagining this as a Netflix one shot Halloween special. Uh, Mr. Woodhouse, Emma's father, discovers an invisibility potion which allows him to discover which of the people in his household are actually leaving the windows open and creating drafts. (laughs) Um, After a lengthy investigation, it turns out that it is Mr. John Knightley. uh, And Mr. Woodhouse then forbids him from ever marrying Emma. And she never forgives her father. (laughs) So the two of them move to Boston to spite the old man but he continues to move invisibly through the house, leading everyone else to believe that it is haunted. <laughs> and drafty. <laughs> that's, that's the real horror of the story is the draft. That is, it, you know, people can get so sick from the windows from are always open. Yes. All right. Uh, so a little invisibility potion mixed in with Emma. I like it. All right. Uh, Todd Mack. Okay. Um, All Robert Lowell wants is to disappear. His shockingly bad looks have made him the laughingstock of the town. Only Sarah, his best friend since childhood, sees the good in him and loves him. But Robert is so focused on his outward appearance that he rejects Sarah's love because he thinks he's, you know, unlovable. So naturally, he finds an apothecary to brew him up a magic invisibility potion. Freed from the burden of his hideous exterior, Robert sneaks into all of the palace balls. But he keeps finding himself uh, using his invisibility powers to reach out and help people that need help. And uh, the invisibility removes his self-consciousness. He becomes aware of what Sarah knew all along. He is a good man. But will he have enough courage to leave the potion, face his physical uh, issues, and start... Face his face. (laughs) Face his face. (laughs) Face his face 
and start a life with Sarah. Oh, I like it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I, I did enjoy the face to face. I'll end there at the end. That should totally be the title. Yeah. Face the face. Face the face. <laughs> it gets housed right next to Nicolas Cage and John Travolta's classic face off at a. <laughs> Someone alphabetizes their video collection. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh man. See, this is what I need. I need I, I feel like I'm 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 ninety percent of the way there on some of these. Maybe they need to be workshopped a little bit. Yeah, I mean we we always default to like workshopping the, the best one a little bit, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's spitball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is some spaghetti being thrown against the wall. We're really deciding which spaghetti is worth peeling off the wall yes. in this process. <laughs> All right. Uh here is mine. Frederick Fitzsmith is a wealthy bachelor who has no interest in any of the women who are very interested in him. Nonetheless, he hosts frequent balls where all these women are around. At one of these parties, a group of spiritualists offer to do readings and sell potions. Fitzsmith dismisses this as nonsense, but when Charlie Hinkleman drinks a potion and begins to float to the ceiling of the ballroom, he must confess there may be something to these potions. When Cassandra Thistlewright drinks a potion and disappears before his eyes, he cannot get her face out of his head. When nobody can find Cassandra the next day, he begins to wander his massive estate looking for her. He walks into an empty parlor in his house and says, Miss Thistlewright, your absence is now a constant presence before me. You must allow me to confess my sincere desire to court you. But when Silent meets him, he exits, closes the door, and walks into another empty room, where he says, Miss Thistlewright, the moment you disappeared is the moment my peace of mind disappeared as well. I'm consumed with a desire to see you again. Again, silence, he exits and walks into the ballroom and announces, Miss Thistlewright, I confess I did not appreciate seeing you until I could uh, not any longer. Now I long to see you every day of my life. A voice from the ceiling says, I say, Frederick, I didn't know you had that much romance in you. I'd be charmed if I was her. Frederick looks up and sees Charlie Hinkleman is still floating against the ceiling. That's as far as I got. <laughs> I didn't really like resolve the plot. I just, I just wanted a Darcy type figure wandering into empty rooms and making confessions of love and waiting to see if anyone responds. <laughs> I know this was supposed to be about an invisibility potion, but the floating potion is what held my attention. Yeah, <laughs> like fizzy lifting drink of some, you know. <laughs> yes. And um, if I'm being honest, like spiritualists are about a half century early uh in in this scene but you know what else, yeah. what, what else isn't in a regency romance magic potions that turn people invisible so yeah. i thought it would be okay to have some spiritualists here as as is always the case your name game is top notch <laughs> well i hope you enjoyed that because there may be some more names coming <laughs> coming in future rounds oh yeah no i I, was, uh, I would expect nothing less from you i was thinking the other day about some of the names that joseph has generated over time and i know we've never done merch but i was thinking about like people have those shirts where it just says characters names it's like harry and ron and hermione and draco and right yeah and i was thinking of that for um joseph's 12 nays of christmas (laughs) (laughs) and i can't even remember but i'm like it's just a bunch of absurd names it's just like how what were those Reindeer horse. They were really good. Joseph. Jiggle um, Hoof the Mighty is one yeah, that comes Jiggle to Jiggle Hoof the Mighty and. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, hold on. I've, I've got it here. Just give me a second to check the recesses of my but mind. I'm just, yeah, I'm picturing, you know, the t shirt where it's just black with plain text. 
All just right. Listing Yule, out these no, names. Oh, I was wrong. It's Yulefire the Mighty, Tinsel Sage the Wise, Dusk Elf the Spy, Dragon Drum the Constant, Candlebane <laughs> the Champion, Ivy Elder the Watchful, Carol Rage the Unsung, Garland Dyer the Scourge, Angel Light the Pure, Bell Steel the Steady, and Jingle Hoof the Rhythmic. Wow. <laughs> Holy smokes. Okay. Um, but remember, just remember, we're not judging these based on the quality of the names. Unless no. that's why you go and 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 you know engage in stories. Like I want really want to watch that because the names are top notch. If that's you, then go for it. I, 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 I had an aristocratic fop floating across the ceiling here, <laughs> which was good. That was good. Mac just threw so much shade. I had to go turn on a light. <laughs> um, no, this round, this round, I like Todd Mac, where you know when he's. When he's invisible, he starts realizing he's like, well, all I want to do is help people. Oh, because he had an actual theme to his and not just a scene of a random man <laughs> yes. walking into a parlor and confessing love yeah. to it's, it's, nothing. It's because, uh, yeah, he had, he had a plot and not a vignette. Okay. I will quickly adjust a future <laughs> round here. All right. All right. Uh, Todd Mac, you have one round one. So would you like to that, that? Well, I mean, just naturally at this point in the order, you will get to choose what uh, we're, we're talking about for round two. Okay. Um, I'm just, I have, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to have a point. I have no idea where to go next, but uh, we'll go to uh, demon plus time travel. Now this is not a movie. It's actually, it's a book. It's written in the style of I, I can't remember the name of the book. We we talked about this years ago, year, many years ago. Um, it's the it's the one that's the Jane Eyre. It's like this postmodern air oh, air affair. The air affair. Okay, it's it's told kind of in that style. This was from 2015, uh, episode okay. number 34 of the protagonist podcast. Um, so it's uh, here we go. Wormwood is the laughing stock of the demons because C.S. Lewis absolutely destroyed him in the screw tape letters. <laughs> nice. Uh, so what happens in this story is an angel comes from heaven and offers Wormwood the chance to go back in time and do things differently. Will he take advantage of this reverse Faustian bargain to get things right with the man he was supposed to tempt? Meaning actually succeed in tempting him or will he turn his attention to screw tape himself and strike a mighty blow against the demons for heaven oh okay. choice hmm. I, I i just like the initial premise of <laughs> he's laughing stuck uh, <laughs> of the demon world because of c.s lewis yes <clears throat> all right uh, let's see, it's going to be me now for Demon plus Time Travel. Minerva McClure is a historian. She is also descended from a long line of witches. While her interest in magic has been minimal for most of her life, when she discovers that she can cast a spell to allow her to view historical events, she studies hard to master this. Now she can open a portal and see Marie Curie in her lab, or Babbage and Lovelace arguing as they're inventing proto-computers. Naturally, she also sometimes watches famous battles from wars to see what historians have gotten right and wrong. In doing this, she starts to notice that there is a demonic presence looming near battlefields. It's a demon that is always there at Gettysburg, at Normandy, at Marathon, at Waterloo. The same demon 
is always there. She theorizes that she can see this demon because of the magic time portal that she's viewing events through. And that this demon must be provoking humans to violence. It is inciting their worst impulses and is responsible for so much of the warm bloodshed in the world. She now trains herself in more magic to be able to fight the demon. And she also studies more to find out how she can time travel through these portals instead of just viewing the past through them. Uh, instead of watching the siege of Yorktown, she actually travels there in completely historic accurate closing, of course, because Minerva McClure is a historian. She finds the demon and casts an entrapment spell and is shocked when it works easily. The demon does not fight back at all. It looks forlorn and sad. She talks to the demon and finds out that it is not responsible for violence, but instead feeds on suffering. And after millennia of being magically drawn to the areas of Earth with the greatest suffering, it wishes it could starve to death, but there's always too much sustenance that it cannot stop itself from consuming. Minerva decides to bring the demon with her through the portal and begin time traveling with it. Together, they begin fixing scenes of suffering throughout history, the present, and the future. In the timey-wimey tradition of time travel, though, there are fixed points they cannot alter, <laughs> but they can alleviate individual and smaller scale suffering throughout time. Whoa. Okay. So Doctor Who, but with a demon instead of a Time Lord. That's <laughs> kind of what I landed on. <laughs> oh, nice. I'm I'm with Mac. I kind of wasn't thinking film or television, but I was thinking a 50s-style pulp sci-fi fantasy short story. Love it. You have my attention. Uh, with, you know, a great, a great cover. Uh... Mm and all that kind of stuff, uh, painting. But one of the stories in this volume is after a group of time travel vigilantes start going back and rewriting the time stream by killing despots, Hitler, Pol Pot, Queen Isabella, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Standard fare. Um, a group of demons start noticing that hell is thinning out. There's not enough people down there. (laughs) And so they they figure out that what's going wrong, and then a group of demons steal that time machine, and they start going back in time to kill the parents of the time travel vigilantes, <laughs> so that they're never born, and they're able to refill <laughs> hell uh, with all these bad people. While this is going on, the inventor of the time machine, whose time machine is always missing figures out that something's going on and then he gets in the time machine and goes back and destroys his own designs and prototypes and dies penniless. Wow. <laughs> I We went in such different directions right? in this one. My goodness. Same um, prompt. Those are uh, strong candidates though. Yeah. I know. Uh, this is a, I loved all of these. This is a pretty good round. I'm, Going Todd Peterson. Woo-hoo. It's just so wild. Right? Right. It's it's a lot going on. It's kind of like, like a big trouble in little China. Kind of insanity. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Todd Peterson. Sweet. I I, uh, I definitely liked that one. Uh I, for a half second, I thought you were going to say the inventor of the time machine was going to go time travel to stop the demons from getting his time machine before the demons could get in a time machine to stop the other time vigilant. <laughs> Just cut the whole thing off. Yeah. I think that it's was a time machine there. all the way down. <laughs> all right. Um, I am going to choose the prompt. Vampires plus revenge dad. Oh, I like this one. 
Uh, I'm, I'm a little nervous about this one, but it's going to make my comeback more impressive if I, uh, <laughs> you know, if I, if I start out over three. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. <clears throat> their precious, their beloved, their cherished has been taken. Jeremy Coffin, James Fang, and Richard Deadman will drive anywhere in the world to get her back. They will drive Aston Martins across a desert. They will drive Pontiac Aztecs across the Arctic. They will drive Ford Pintos across cliffside roads in the Andes. They will drive a McLaren S720S and a Ferrari 296 GTB and a Maserati MC20 across the Sahara. They will caravan across Louisiana swampland. They will be somewhat inept but informative as they do these things. But in the end... They will find her because they're vampires. When they reach the car thieves who stole their beloved car, they dispatch them in no time. The whole point of this film is the journey to get to their Bugatti La Vautour Noir, not the fight when they actually reach it. Oh. (laughs) So did you add like a third plus like vampires plus revenge dad plus Fast and the Furious? I was actually... It was was Top Gear, wasn't it? It's Top Gear. Yes, it's Top Top Gear and Grand Tour. It was the three idiots uh, that... (laughs) entertain millions uh so it was uh let's see the it's um james fang is james may uh <laughs> richard hammond is richard deadman and then it was uh jeremy clarkson is jeremy coffin in this version nice. <laughs> and and the offspring that they are revenging is a stolen car a stolen car <laughs> that's, the that's their baby yes <laughs> Which I looked it up is considered the uh, the best, most expensive supercar in the world right now. I thought you were going to say it, it is considered the the ultimate vampire car. Well, it is also named La Voutoire Noir. My French pronunciation being impeccable right there in the tradition of, <laughs> of British uh, <laughs> of British cast. <laughs> All right, let's see. So we're out of Todd Peterson for oh, awesome. vampires right. plus revenge dad. So I'm imagining this as a historical action film, let's say set in the 1630s, uh, maybe directed by Autumn DeWilde, who did that great adaptation of Emma uh, mm-hmm. in 2020. Right. So uh, have... I mean, who hasn't imagined a 1620s revenge film directed? By... Yeah, <laughs> I think it's I think it's a hot thing. I was reading about this in Variety, whatever. Yeah. Um. So. It seemed to me that the obvious way to do this would to have the revenge dad come after a vampire who killed one of his kids, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, I have a certain set of skills, right? And I also have holy water and a bunch of garlic and all that stuff. But I was thinking about doing uh, something where the revenge dad is actually like a vampire zero. Mm-hmm. Like a granddaddy, the one that started it. Right. And he's coming after the vampire hunters who are hunting all of his vampire children. Mm-hmm. So, so thus far, both of us had the revenge dad isn't hunting vampires. The revenge dad is a vampire for both of our pitches. Right. <laughs> well, I, I feel like I, when this got first written down into an email, right? The immediate impulse is like, well, you can go one of two ways, <laughs> sure. right? Yeah. And and so that you know feels pretty pretty natural, mm-hmm. um, you know to to pick either of those two ways. And at this point, I think culturally, we're kind of in a yeah, but I kind of want to like I kind of want to be on the monster side sometimes, right? Yeah, like there was a vampire movie. I don't know. This is like a couple years back. It was called Blood Red Skies. 
I and I think don't I did not watch it, but I saw the trailer <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay. And there's a woman who's getting on a plane and she is like taking medication and stuff. Later on, it turns out she's a vampire, but the plane gets hijacked. And it's about her like sneaking up on the hijackers in the cargo hold and stuff. How and using I vampire not powers. Know this film existed. Wow. <laughs> it's the trailer is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but I did not want to watch the movie. I, I um, wish you'd given us the prompt of vampires plus plane hijack. Plus plane. I know, right? Yeah, because it's one of those things where it's like, okay, she's trying to manage being a vampire, but now she's in a tight situation and she can't get her medication. And it, like there's bad guys that she yeah. can eat. And so it's like, okay, cool. Take him out. Okay. Um, and so, you know, Revenge Dad Vampire kind of kind of gets the thing. Although, um, as Todd Peterson was talking, I did think in, in his case, right, with the with the like vampire zero. So that's like like revenge sire. Yeah. Right. Instead of revenge dad. But then when you talked about you talked about the idea of like someone with holy water and everything, I was like, revenge father? <laughs> as in as in a priest. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of ways this can go. Yeah. Uh, Todd Peterson. Uh, is Emma the only thing Autumn to Wild has directed? Do you know? Yes. I, okay. I, think it, I think that's her first feature. Um, I think she's working on something now. But she did. She's Everybody knows her visual style because she did all of this work for, um, like. She's a photographer, right? Yeah, uh, she's like a rock and roll photographer. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just, I, my mind is blanking on the people that she's shot. But okay. anything that has that like textured floral thing in that imagery, Rolling Stone shoots, album covers and stuff, that was like her deal. Okay. Because I was uh, like, I, I saw that and it does have a very distinctive visual style. I was just wondering if she's like a, a Wes Anderson where like every time you see it, you just immediately know it's her. <laughs> I'm excited for the next film because I just thought it was beautiful. Yeah. All right. Todd Mack, what is your vampire revenge dad plot? Dr. Drew Silverman's super athletic and super popular kids wish they could hide their father from their friends. He's a bit overweight, a bit bald. He's got rusty joints and his thick round glasses point to his progressing nearsightedness. Worst of all, Dr. Silverman is a professor of literature, and his specialty is vampire novels. He knows everything about them. He's read every story. He's watched every film. What could possibly be nerdier? But when a roving band of actual vampires kidnaps Drew's kids, they're in for the surprise of their life, because it turns out that Drew's career path has provided him with a very particular set of skills. Ooh. I was nice waiting for hook. one of us to drop that quote in uh, <laughs> because when Andrew gave us the premise of revenge dad, I imagine every single one of us just thought Liam Neeson. Okay. <laughs> it's what he does now. Yeah. Um, now. Okay. So I've got one specific question for Todd Mack on yeah. that. The description of your professor yeah, I don't see Liam Neeson playing that character. Uh, yeah, so so as <laughs> he approaches this, is it just like, oh, I totally understand what to do, and he just outthinks him. He doesn't have to like go through a workout montage or anything, or or does he like get in shape to save his kids? <laughs> do I have to answer this question right now, not no, knowing? No, you, 
no, like if you're not sure, I just was wondering if you had a vision for which way that that would go, because I kind of like either one. Well, I was not envisioning a workout montage. I was I was more picturing like gearing up montage. Mm -hmm. Right. So so you could do the whole Rocky like, you know, he's in his shed, you know, pumping iron or 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 uh, doing pushups or something. But I, I really like to imagine him, you know, he's like pouring over his books he's getting all the incantations he's getting all the all the you know all the special gear that he's going to need to go out and he's just kind of this like pudgy you know he's got these thick glasses and he just he just takes he just takes them out yeah because he knows because he just knows you know his brain Mm -hmm. and his guts i like it this is maybe my favorite of my (laughs) things i I like it a lot too, and it's winning this round. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> right. I support Pod Mac back. because yeah. it's body positivity for dad bod, and, yeah. and for literature professors. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in this particular group, uh, you know, I, I think we all gravitate towards that that calling. Uh, yeah. Um, but right I, I think overall, like another solid round, like. This is this is competitive. Is it? The competition is competitive. The score maybe not so much. I Joseph, think Joseph, last you're, Halloween you're, you're I got... really close to have got it to, oh, to yeah. getting a point. I, I feel it. I feel like I'm on the cusp. So last Halloween I got soon. skunked pretty soundly. So yeah, it's it comes with the territory. All right. Uh, let's see. Todd Peterson, you get to choose our next genre mash. Okay, I want to do shapeshifter rom-com. All right. Yes, yeah, so the prompt was just shapeshifter and rom-com, which feels so wide open. So I'm imagining an indie film in the style of the Duplass Brothers. Do you know their movies? Like they did Paddleton. They, they do these really quiet actor things, Bluebird Cafe, um, and it's really focuses on the performances. Um, you know, they probably shoot them for like 7 million or something like that, like really super low budget. But anyways, uh, in this film, a shapeshifter is just in love with this woman that he sees just around town, um, oftentimes at the dog park. And um, she doesn't show much interest in him. He's really interested in her. Um, and he tries to make approaches. It doesn't really work. She's just really, really involved with her dog. And then one day he sees her at the dog park and she's like calling out the dog's name. Um, and, uh, she said that the dog is lost and he says, Oh, I could help you out. And so he takes a picture with his phone and he says he's going to make some posters, but what he does instead is goes and figures out how to shape shift into the dog. And then he takes himself back to the dog park and presents himself to her as the dog. And she's so happy. She's like, oh, my gosh, like, uh, Skippy, you're here. You're here. This is great. And so he's having, like, the best run of all. She pets him all the time. He gets to sleep with her on the bed. (laughs) And he can't tell her the truth about what's really going on until the original dog comes home. Can I say, this felt like the spookiest vibe. (laughs) 
Like, this creeped me out, actually. Right? <laughs> this is very uncomfortable. But what happens when there's a dog fight in the bedroom? <laughs> like, it's kind of reminded is... me of the shaggy dog. It's gonna. It, 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 it seems me, like it's it gonna be light, and of, then it turns. Uh, of um, uh, Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> what? It, when the 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 one evil dad turns his daughter into a dog. Oh, that's so sad. See, Ugh. I don't think she's gonna forgive him when she finds out that he tricked. No, her. I don't think she no, can. No, 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 no. This is this guy's irredeemable. Yeah, you can't come back from yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So he's gonna he's gonna have to kill the the dog that comes back. <laughs> yeah, you're now, not making this less creepy. And, and, and now, yeah, he's like, no, I'm taking your place. Um, Todd Peterson, I don't know. I'm not trying to poison the well at all. But did you have a different prompt than me? Because mine's a shapeshifter and rom com. <laughs> yeah, that's the first parts. The first parts of the rom com, <laughs> right? And then, he, and then he leads real heavy into the Halloween special. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, am I up now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is a story about a woman we will call Jane who gains the ability to shapeshift when she uh, stumbles across a shaman painting caves in the mountains of Cantabria in Spain 30,000 years ago. So she's a cave woman. Okay. All right. Then she uses her newfound shapeshifting skills and... I'm just going to add in immortality Mm -hmm. over millennia to live not one comfortable life of luxury, but thousands of them throughout the years. She knows every language and every trick in the book. But then she meets a really good guy named, well, Guy, and falls truly in love with him. The problem is Guy can tell that Jane doesn't seem to be authentic with him, and he kind of pushes back a little bit. Will she be able to rein in 30,000 years of shifting in order to find out who she really is and finally settle down? Oh, I like that. All right. Mm-hmm. So immortal shapeshifter, uh, creep shapeshifter. Those are the two we have so far. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to poison the well. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I, I went more for the... Uh, the like a, a high school setting, you know, like a, a clueless or a, mm. a 10 things I hate about you style. Uh, life can always feel complicated in high school, but at cryptid high, it is more complicated for some than <laughs> others. For the shapeshifters who change form once a month with no control over what their new appearance will be, oh, it's particularly no. hard, especially because in adolescence, their personalities will bend towards their new appearances. For Sally Switcher and Mike Morphosis, this is particularly hard because at the start of the new year, when they were both doing after-school sports with the track team, they had a crush on each other. But then in September, he became a goth, and she became a mean girl. And then in October, he was a skater boy. She was a horse girl. Literally, she became a centaur. In November, uh, she joins the athletic decathlon, and he's a basketball star. Uh, in December, he was an AV geek, and she was in the drama club. So close, but not quite right. In <laughs> In January, she got into an emo band phase while he joined the chess club. In February, he was a greaser. He was a soch. In March, he got way into films and story structure and talked about cinematography a lot while she started following fashion influencers on social media. In April, she was a shark. He was a jet. Now there's only one month left. Will they finally match up? Or they realize it doesn't matter what form they have. They could be a good couple. Oh, my gosh. Soundtrack by Avril Lavigne. (laughs) 
Um, it's going to Joe. Yes, I'm on the round. board. Um, nice. That's a good call. Todd Todd Peterson. I do want to give you credit for writing. I like maybe the creepiest thing we've talked about <laughs> on this entire podcast. I mean, it's like talented Mr. Ripley, but with a pet. And it just seems so creepy. I know this is the one that I feel like I may just skulk off with and try to write some weird kind of Kelly link sh- short story. That is this because mm-hmm. it's really, it upsets me deep on the inside. Yeah. But it starts I... like no big deal. This is just silly. But anyways, <laughs> it, it what Joe was the right call because uh, it was just basically shape shifting is literally what happens in high school. Yeah. So, <laughs> It's not even really fantastic. It's just a documentary. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. So this was the one that I had a concept for in my head. Right. Oh, after what, what did it, you after have? It made the list. Very rarely and, do we get a pitch from Andrew. So. And, and Joe's is kind of close. A little bit. My idea was it's essentially multiple short romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the same two people, and they don't know that they're both shapeshifters. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. And so they keep like connecting <laughs> and having meet cutes and stuff. But it's like, okay, they go through a breakup and they both shift, but then they actually reconnect and they don't realize it. Mm. All right. Oh, so it's like shapeshifter Cloud Atlas. Well, I was going to say uh, shapeshifter. Uh, what's the? Isn't there an Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore romantic comedy? Fifty first dates where she yes. doesn't have like she her memory resets every day. Oh, okay. yes, and that's one that I like. I've been writing down like the seeds that my like. Yes, we have the prompts, but then I usually have something. So like for uh, um, the demon in time travel, I just wrote down demon feeds on human suffering, but has had too much. That was my like idea, and then uh, the vampire revenge dad i said uh top gear idiots as vampires <laughs> and then <laughs> for this one i had first written adam sandler drew barrymore romantic comedy with shapeshifting and i was thinking of something kind of like what andrew headed but then mm-hmm. i just wrote down high school shapeshifting and that kind of took over yeah go. and so so in this case it's just like they keep coupling back up but every time they don't know because they're you know shapeshifting and and you know trying to be different people Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's like, oh, yeah, it's the, uh, you know, the beginning of their romantic comedy multiple times with multiple performers. Yeah, I like it. But I'm glad I got the point. <laughs> not, not, not that you give it to yourself or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Out of nowhere, Andrew gets the point for this round. <laughs> um, OK, uh, let's see. I think Todd Peterson started us off on that one. So Todd, Mack, yeah, so Todd you get to choose. Oh, I feel like I'm in the dregs now. I mean, I feel like I've been in the we're, dregs we're this past whole halfway. night. Um, okay, so this is fantasy plus serial killer. Um, I just played this like straight down the middle. This is a Lord of the Rings spinoff uh, TV series on Amazon Prime, but a good one. I mean, I, I haven't watched it yet, so I, I have no opinion. No, I'm going to say I mean, the, the, the one that's on Netflix right now is I don't think it's as bad as everybody as most people are saying, but it's also not like it's not as good as the See, I've heard some really good things about it. But I've also heard some big complaints, so I have it's no fine. idea what to expect when I start watching. it. It's fine, but it's not as good as this one, which I'll tell you about right now. Okay. It takes okay. place in the port city of Umbar Haven. 
Now, uh, and it, it follows basically a, a group of detectives in this in the city. Um, you might think that fantasy crime is special or interesting, but generally it's just, you know, theft is theft, drugs are drugs, fraud is fraud, murder is generally murder, uh, especially the crimes of passion, whether the weapon of choice is a dagger, a sword, or a potion. But a serial killer is never just a serial killer. Each one has a unique personality, kind of twisted creativity in the way that they kill. And the scariest kind of serial killer, in my opinion, is the sniper. They kill at random. They kill from a distance. They're cold, calculating, unpredictable, and practically untraceable. And when the killer uses not a gun, but magic spells to kill their unsuspecting prey, it's all Detective Yua Johornthi and her plucky team of elf, dwarf, and human detectives to catch the killer before the killer strikes again. So we get a team trying to solve the serial killer. Uh, find them and stop them. Okay, that's going to be maybe not unique in a moment. (laughs) 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 But but, and so this is in Lord of the Rings fantasy context. Umbar Haven is actually a city in Middle Earth on the on the coast. It's like a it's the Moss Eisley of Lord of the Rings. Okay. All right. Well, I do have a different setting, at least. Oh, <laughs> that's good. All right. Uh, let's see. The Fae are immor- immortal. They never die until now. Someone has found a way to kill the elves, fairies, and magic folk, and they just don't know what to do about it. They literally have never had a murderer in their midst. But Owlet Catheart. A rebellious young fairy has become obsessed with human media, much to her parents' dismay. So she recruits several of her favorite true crime podcasters to come into the fairy world and examine yep. the crime scenes. Yep. <laughs> from from the podcast Murders Over Mojitos, where the hosts talk about true crime while getting increasingly tipsy as the episode progresses, she brings in Kelly Pababel, a bubbly sorority girl who is obsessed with grisly serial killer crime scenes. From Morbidly Fascinating Murderers, where each month the hosts discuss one famous murderer in history, she brings in Terry McKillen, a mustachioed single father with a dad bod who has read true crime nonfiction for 25 years and has an encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of serial killers. From Killer Addiction, where each year the hosts uh, discuss an unsolved murder and try to track uh, try to crack it, she brings in Sophie Grintler, uh, Sophie Grintler, a goth girl with a vocal fry who knows every published detail about Jack Ripper and knows the flaw in all the theories about his identity. And from... What we talk about when we talk about murders, a podcast analyzing true crime podcasts. She brings in Dr. Carl Messler, an academic who knows more than his two co-hosts, but only speaks barely above a whisper and is drowned out by his bombastic co-hosts every episode and only speaks for about 5% of the discussion. He's Alet Catheart's favorite. She views everything he says as a diamond in the midst of the episode. Together, this ragtag group of podcasters and their fairy guide will enter an unknown world to solve the only murders that it has ever seen. I, I titled this one uh, "True Crime Fantasy Victim." That's awesome. Oh, nice! You had me at the podcast. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Todd Peterson, fantasy plus serial killer. All right, I I'm uh, taking a page out of the Todd Mac playbook, and I'm uh, creating an alternate, you know, or, or a, a Middle Earth IP thing here um somebody is killing all the dragons 
The dragons can't figure out who it is, and so they come together and they decide to pay a hobbit detective, Sherlock Took, <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> Took takes his absorbent fee and begins his investigation, and all of the clues lead him towards a dragon named Smaug, who does not like the competition. He wants to be the one dragon and have all the treasure. Hmm. So there was there was a Venn diagram <laughs> with, with Todd <laughs> of, of Middle Earth and gathering the gang to solve the murders, and and then Todd Peterson and I are on the two other ends with little overlap yeah. between the two of us, but, but Todd <laughs> there in the middle. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go to Joe again. Yes. Okay, that was the one I felt strongest about when I, I, was, I was like giggling that was to myself. A super as I good it. pitch. Yeah, yep. so uh, th- that was my 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 what I felt like was my home run. We're going to see what happens, what pans out from here on out. <laughs> I'm really glad I got that one. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's it's got some only murders in the forest glade to it. <laughs> yes. um, like, are is anybody trying to podcast as they go? Oh, uh, you know, I, I didn't think of that. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I I would like to. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it would feel very only murders in the uh, only is it only murders in the building. Is that the mm-hmm. title of that? Yes. Only murder. It would, like if they were, uh, you, you know, if they were, if they were opening the episode with a voiceover from the podcast, it would feel like maybe a little too close to that. But on the other hand, I, it's not like I'm trying to reinvent the wheel here. I'm just mashing a few things together. <laughs> yeah. No, that was super good. Um, like so that's what five rounds in two to Todd Mac, two to Joe and one to Todd Peterson. And that is correct. That's what I have over here. And there's three left. All right. All right. Uh, Let's go with, okay, we're going to do Cryptid plus Film Noir. And I'm going to be honest, this is what I forgot to write until about 10 minutes before we started recording, and (laughs) I am just keeping the word vomit that came out. I'm not going to edit this at all. Uh, This is just what it is. All right. In the seedy underbelly of New York, there's one office light on in a dingy, dark corner of town. Sam the Mothman likes the nighttime in the shadows. People don't stare at him as much. He likes to be alone, but when she knocked on the door, he suddenly didn't mind the company. In came Betty the Bat Squatch. Yes, part bat, part Sasquatch, but all woman as far as Sam was concerned. (laughs) And Sam's the Mothman. Oh my gosh. The Mothman and a Bat Squatch. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> i'm sorry this is, uh, let me try to give that one <laughs> no it, this is all staying in as is you said okay. you said the word vomit stays that was incredible um she was she was in some trouble but she kept it vague he promised to look into it though he didn't know what the trouble even was she asked him to come out for drinks and soon they were at the bar but so was danny Devilbird and frank the fresno nightcrawler they attacked them. <laughs> Sam knocked them out. Betty took a small statue of a mole from Danny's pocket and ran out. Sam followed her. They crossed over into uh, the Giglioli Wales district. I'm sorry. I did have a list of cryptids up. <laughs> so just yeah, looking at this. Apparently. <laughs> uh, into the Giglioli Wales district where Betty traded the statue for some papers. She wouldn't tell Sam what the papers were for. He didn't even care. Then they knocked. Uh, they were knocked out by the Hopskinville goblins and left for dead, tied up on some subway tracks. But they both had wings, so it didn't really matter that their hands and feet were tied. Sam and Betty just flew off easily. 
<laughs> they find the goblins and get the drop on them. Literally, Betty gets the papers back and meets up with Jackie Jackalope and trades the papers for a diamond, the biggest diamond Sam has ever seen. Just then, Sam, as a Mothman, has a vision of the future. He's dead. She's dead. They're all dead if they keep this up. Sam tells Betty about his vision. Betty tells him they can't keep this up. She leaves him standing alone under a streetlight as she disappears into the darkness. He goes back to his office, turns off the light, takes a long drink, and lights a cigarette. The end. <laughs> Ten minutes. Okay. I just pulled up a list of cryptids. If you're wondering, like Bat Squatch, that is a a cryptid. Uh, let's see, where is this? Wait, you didn't make that one up? No, it's a flying cryptid that was allegedly seen uh, near yeah. Mount St. Helens in the 1980s. Oh, it might not be with us anymore. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's habitat. <laughs> it's habitat has shifted somewhat. I didn't know that. Didn't know that until I read it. Now I feel sad. <laughs> and that's called Bat Squatch. Bat, bat Squatch. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, let's see the Fresno Nightcrawler, uh, Fresno near Fresno, California, mm. in Yosemite National Park. Uh, it's seen in video footage. Mm. <laughs> that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. But uh, let's see. That well, was mine. What were the uh, the whales? Oh, uh, okay. Let me pull that one up. Uh, that was yeah. Uh, Giglioli's whale is. Uh, I'm a, I'm on a cryptid fan wiki here. Uh, this. <laughs> Uh, is a purported species of whale observed by Enrico Giglioli that has two dorsal fins uh, and also some rhinoceros-like features, apparently. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, Todd Peterson, follow that I mean, up. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm happy I will with- say, one thing I loved is... Uh, Film noir, I have found, at least, while I, I do enjoy the feeling of watching film noir, the plots don't have to make any sense. Exactly. <laughs> no, man, it's all vibes. Yeah. That's the point. Uh, so I'm doing film noir, but I'm imagining like a one-off independent creator-owned Tales of Mystery style comic book mm. that's okay. using the noir vibes. Yeah. Uh, Sasquatch finds a man unconscious in the woods hanging from the a tree from a tree on the strands of his parachute and uh below him on the ground uh down in the fur needles is a duffel bag full of money it's db cooper it is db cooper, cooper wakes up it? yes yes db <laughs> cooper wakes up and tries to convince sasquatch to cut him down and get him to civilization and he'll and he'll share the money with him and the, the whole rest of the issue is the story of how Sasquatch tries to get D.B. Cooper down, but can't. <laughs> <laughs> and D.B. Cooper dies in the air. Oh, no. And Sasquatch takes all the money, shreds it, and uses it to line the nest in his cave. <laughs> wow. That is fantastic. When Andrew was uh, mentioning the vampires uh, as plane hijackers, I had some D.B. Cooper stuff start floating <laughs> through my head. So I'm very glad that D.B. Cooper made an official appearance and not just floated through my I, head. I owe it. You know, I'm a, I'm a Pacific Northwest kid, so I owed it to go local, local cryptid, uh, local folk hero. I think mm. the last time, last year in Hall- at Halloween, D.B. Cooper made an, an appearance also. Oh, maybe. I think he did. Uh, I, I really can't say. I'll be honest. Uh, a, a few years ago, Todd, before Christmas special, I, I actually went back and uh, found all the things that I'd written up. And I was like, oh, I've done similar things a couple times and had no yeah. idea. 
Okay. Um, I, I would just like to, I'm going to read this to you. Um, this is, this is a section from the Wikipedia page of the Loveland frog. It's a, this is a cryptid from Ohio folklore. Okay. Uh, according to various legends. So this is a creature. It's four foot tall frog that walks on its hind legs like a human. Okay. And <laughs> I wish I could show you this picture. <laughs> I want it on my head. It's like <laughs> the most ridiculous picture what's, of a cryptid. What's it, what's it called? <laughs> it's called the Loveland, Loveland frog. frog. Please look this up. <laughs> so I, this is. It, uh, it started autofilling the Loveland frog man. Yeah, it's the same thing. It should take you to the same page. And then there's All an right, artist's rendering. This is like, <laughs> I cannot even describe how bad this is. Do you see this picture? Yeah, yeah. It, it's like they just took a, well, I can't even. Uh, <laughs> and he's like standing up next to like the guardrail on a freeway. Yes. <laughs> but it really does look like a, a, a terrible Photoshop of just a frog put up on its side. It was, okay. looks like it's standing upright. <laughs> okay, so this is what it says. On March 3rd, 1972, at 1 a.m., Loveland police officer Ray Shockey was driving on Riverside Drive near the Totes Boot Factory in the Little Miami River when an unidentified animal scurried across the road in front of the vehicle. The animal was fully illuminated in his vehicle's headlights, and he described it as three to four feet long and about 50 to 75 pounds of leathery skin. He reported spotting the animal, quote, crouched like a frog, close quote, before it momentarily stood erect to climb over the guardrail, and back down towards the river. Two weeks after the incident, a second Loveland police officer, Mark Matthews, reported seeing an unidentified animal crouched along the road in the same vicinity as Shockey's sighting. Matthews shot the animal, recovered the body, put it in his trunk to show Officer Shockey. According to Matthews, it was a large iguana, about three or three and a half feet long, and he didn't immediately recognize it because it was missing its tail. Matthew speculated the iguana had been someone's pet that either got loose or was released when it grew too large. According to Matthews, Shockey was shown the dead iguana and confirmed it was the same animal he had seen two weeks previously. Matthews recounted the institute to an author of a book about urban legends, but says the author omitted the part that confirmed that the creature was an iguana rather than a frogman. Matthews also recounted the Frogman story in 2016 again on WCPO Channel 9. Uh, okay, so this is, yeah. this is the background, okay? now Well, it, it's not exactly an episode of lore. <laughs> so this is, <laughs> this is my story. This is a, this is a, it, it's a true crime, neo-noir kind of documentary, net, Netflix-style documentary, but it's a parody. It's about this dogged team of, like, Disney Channel slash National Geographic uh, quote unquote scientists who desperately want to make a mysterious documentary about the Loveland Frogman, but they're constantly defeated by people who, could, who keep debunking their, the stories. It's just an iguana, guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like everywhere they go, like, oh, oh, we've got a lead over here. And then they go and it's like, oh, yeah, it was a, just a thing, you know, which is basically what every Disney Channel Di National Geographic show is. But uh, But now we're just going to lean into it. So Loveland Frogman, it's just, it's like a yeah, it's a it's a parody of a true crime neo noir docu drama about these people who desperately desperately want to make 
a mysterious documentary, but uh, but it just turns out it's, an, it's a tailless iguana. I can't d- decide if I love it more when we're given the same prompt and we end up in kind of similar veins, or when we are just all over the map. Oh, man. Just could not could not be more different. It's the singularity, right? <laughs> um. Oh man. Well, Joe got me the best noir vibes. That's right, I did. And <laughs> and and noir is all vibes. Have, have I come back to take a lead at this point? I, so that's a lead wow. for Joe. Whoa! Don't worry, plenty, plenty of room to tank it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's plenty of time. Don't don't you worry. Uh, my my little uh, seed that I put is just but throw in all the cryptids, but the plot makes no sense. That's what I was going for. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, I am not confident that I'm going to win tonight, you guys. Well, there's two left. Uh, Todd Peterson gets to pick, and then Todd Mack will lead on the last round. Okay. Okay, I'm going to go with Western and Mermaids. And I'm going to stretch Western a little bit. <laughs> no we do not allow that in this game we are very strict as you can if you look at what's been submitted so far this is no. a good this is a good old-fashioned technicolor family-friendly musical western so like an oklahoma style yeah. western uh title seven mermaids for seven brothers <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think I see how this round's going to go. And okay. here, this here's the deal. It is 100% exactly like the original film <laughs> in every way, <laughs> except for the sisters are mermaids who have to be wheeled around in barrels. <laughs> Did you say barrels or barrows? Because so, I was picturing wheelbarrows full of water. Correct. Barrels okay, in not... barrows. Okay. Because <laughs> then I because then I also thought like tipping a barrel on its side. And oh like gosh. they roll it around, then they set it up and they open the lid and the mermaid's like in there but dizzy. Now, now <laughs> d- depending on budget, there could be one synchronized swimming number. Number. Yeah. yeah. But, but you do save on the budget when their top half is just popping out of a barrel. Well, you really right. don't have to worry about much. Yeah, you don't. No costuming for the bottom half. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, and you don't have to draw the. You don't, you don't have to like create the fins for most of it. Yep. The, I like nobody, the idea that it, nobody that it, references that they're mermaids. Nobody talks oh. about it. It's it's one hundred percent played straight. Yeah, they just get picked up from the lagoon. Yep. All, All the right. themes, I think, survive. Uh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dirk James grew up pushing cattle across the Chisholm Trail while fighting rustlers and Native Americans. He fought in the Civil War. Now a battle scar, now uh, a battle scarred, jaded, and much older man, he's taken job as marshal in the seaside town of Santa Cruz where he hopes the fresh air, fresh air will cure his worsening arthritis. Then one day he finds a mermaid trapped in a fishing net on the shore. 
It's not an aerial type mermaid. It's more of a silent monster type mermaid. Uh, he saves her and she escapes into the sea. Each morning, Dirk returns, hoping to catch a glimpse of the mysterious creature. He starts to swim in the water looking for her. Uh, what ensues is a My Octopus Teacher style story of friendship and discovery as Dirk realizes just how much there is to learn from his new underwater friend. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, I went in a different direction. <clears throat> Fluke, Jasper, and One-Eye Marie are the best-known cowboy and cowgirl couple in the West. For a decade, they've explored every territory and made na a name for themselves, for their skills with guns, their love for each other, and their obsession with adventure. But they fear they've reached the edge of the frontier because everything is just too familiar to them. That's when they abandon their horses and try canoeing through the Grand Canyon. They've been down the canyon before, but they've never done it on the river. Just as Marie is about to say, this is all nice, but a little too familiar, she thinks she sees a head pop out of the river and then disappear. She tries to explain to Fluke that someone might be in the water, but he says that's preposterous. When they see a branch of the river turn into a cave that would be hidden from most vantage points, they steer into this. In the pitch darkness of the cave, they hear some odd splashing that they can't explain. And they hear what sounds like a human whisper or two, but that would be impossible. Fluke feels a wet hand rub against his face and tells Marie to cut it out, but she insists she doesn't know what he's talking about. He digs into their pack and finds a match, and when he lights it, in the brief flare of light, he sees Marie's one eye reflected in the light of the small flame. He also sees dozens of small eyes from half-submerged heads that are surrounding their canoe. Mm. That got kind of creepy, too. Yeah, I wanted that, and that went on a creepier note. <laughs> Um, the, the one I want to go see is Todd Peterson's. Yeah, oh, that's fair. <laughs> it's 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 ridiculous, but that's the that's the deal. I think that's the victory, right? That's yeah, yeah. Which, which one do you want to see? I think that counts. You know that 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 gets you the point. Sweet. All right. <laughs> so we have uh. Todd Peterson with so two points. Joe Dorowski, Joe two points. is guaranteed at least a piece a of the yeah. victory pie. I'm at three right now. Now I could make it an outright win if I can take this last round. But he was mm -hmm. trying to shoot the moon. If he doesn't get all of it, he loses, right, Mac? That's right. Oh, that, that was not a... Yeah, his, his know, parameters was... for feeling victorious <laughs> oh, was a clean sweep. Slink, slink off, Joe. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I I have hit my target, right? <laughs> I, I mean, this, I think we've been pretty darn even. Uh, I called uh, two, I called two, two so right now. Yeah, I'm I'm right on. All right, <clears throat> I'm first on this round, right? Yeah. What is our prompt? Vampires plus sci-fi. Um, astronauts travel through a wormhole and find a planet that was previously inhabited by what appear to be now extinct humans. But their mission turns to terrible tragedy when the astronauts unwittingly bring back to Earth a vampire virus. Now, a group of astronaut virologist archaeologists must return to that cursed planet to uncover the nature of the virus and perhaps a clue to its cure. But when they arrive, they begin to suspect that the planet's previous inhabitants may not all be extinct. Mm. Okay. I, I I really like the astroarchaeovirologists. <laughs> yeah. Coming in there. It yeah, seems that's... like a really niche uh job description, but you know, 
when you need one, you really need one. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, so I'm imagining, it, you know, it's like um, uh, Interstellar meets, I don't know, <laughs> something uh, else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's similarities to like the Alien movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think of like, because it's got like the post-apocalyptic vibe as well. So maybe like a little uh, Walking Dead uh you know, feeling or uh, or uh, I am legend. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Like the, the abandoned cities parts of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK. All right. Mm. <clears throat> my vampires plus sci fi. <laughs> my, my prompt that I wrote down, my little seed was just vampires on the moon with a question mark. OK, so uh, in the near future on Earth, things are looking bad for the vampires. 20 years after the first vampire appeared, they have literally wiped out the entire human, hum, human population on Earth and are fast dying off because their food source has disappeared. Now, a small group of vampires led by a former NASA vampire, well, now, now a NASA vampire, is desperately trying to find a way to save themselves. They need to get to the moon. The last surviving community of humanity lives on the moon, awaiting the day when it will be safe to return to Earth. When the vampire apocalypse became obvious, desperate attempts to supply and populate moon bases began. Now, there are permanent domed uh, arboretums and supply bases scattered across the moon's surface, but the 5,000 or so humans who made it off the planet live in giant-wheeled habitats that constantly move to stay on the moon's day side. So they're always in sunlight. The habitats are encased in clear glass so that everyone is exposed to sunlight to ensure no vampire has ever made it there with them. But when a wheeled lunar base reaches one of the permanent bases that has just entered Sunside, they don't see that an unaccounted for moon ladder is half a mile away, still on the dark side of the moon. The day they've been dreading for is here. Vampires are on the moon. Hmm. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Mine is a science fiction heist movie not directed by Zack Snyder. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you got for vibes. Not Zack Snyder. Not Zack Snyder. Um, But my my kind of my my log line pitch is it's like Snatch the Hot Rock meets Twilight. Okay. Vampire's plan to steal a new invention that allows people to manipulate the weather. And their plan is to use this invention to darken the skies and lengthen the time that they can spend out in the world. Mm -hmm. The werewolves catch wind of this plan and realize that if the vampires are successful, it will also block out the full moon and they will never be werewolves again. So the werewolves plan a heist to steal the invention from the vampires once they steal it. (laughs) (laughs) And the the weather device goes back and forth between the vampires and the werewolves throughout the entire film until the final epic showdown battle over the weather device. And the soundtrack for the ending sequence is the Beatles, Here Comes the Sun. Nice. (laughs) That, and that is the entire budget for the film is securing that's the right. rights to a Beatles song. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right, uh, Andrew. Yes. Who is going to win vampires plus sci-fi? It's an outright win for Joe. Wow. Oh, oh, nice. Time. 
I honestly don't know when I last had one. <laughs> so I'm going to take it. <laughs> yeah. Way to I go. Liked, I, I liked the, you know, NASA, Moon. There's, <laughs> you know, a, a survival imperative. Yeah. I, so I've always remembered, I think it was, it wasn't that long ago that some mathematician just did the math of a vampire converting one human a month and what that actually would start to to look like. And I think their conclusion was less than five years before the human population would basically be gone. But is that, <laughs> would, is, is that without vampire hunting or? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like just if, if it was just the multiplication of, of vampires uh, each, you know, feeding on a human a month, you know, uh, it, it very quickly becomes unsustainable. Is that a is that a power curve? Is that? Uh, I'd I'd have to go look up. I mean, uh, it's, it becomes a uh, what like a logarithmic curve when it's like infinite increase. Well, uh, just a little call back to one of the earlier plots. I'm an English professor, so we are outside <laughs> my wheelhouse <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I'm just recounting something I read about math. I did not do the math myself. Yeah, because because it would double every month. Yeah. It's a lot of vampires pretty quick. All right. Uh, final thoughts about this game. Does anyone have a favorite that particularly stood out? Uh, you know, that uh, makes you think, oh, man, we might need to revisit that at some point. I really liked Max. Uh, archaeology wormhole virologists. <laughs> That is such a great hook <laughs> right there. You know, it's like, it's like oh, I, I know what we're doing here. <laughs> it wasn't enough. It was not enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, well, it, I, it felt like I am legend plus alien, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the one that's going to stick with me the most is Todd Peterson's shapeshifter dog. Yeah, that's the one I was going to say. Like, but <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's like so true. Weird. It's true creepiness. Yeah, y'all are going to sit up straight in your beds at about three o'clock this morning. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but no, like it's that's legitimately like, oh, that's really creepy in a way that like people would get like angry, creeped out about. Yeah, because then they it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's making me look at everything differently. Like people said, Jaws made them look at, you know, any body of water differently. It's like, well, this is doing that to everybody's pet dog. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That dog like, is going to sit in that woman's a... bed and thump its tail, are and you, we're going to hate you? it. Yeah. Are you secretly a shapeshifter with an unhealthy obsession with me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was that was my way, pick as well. I, for I, the one that, I, I've linger. decided over the arc of the podcast, I'm full on doing this. Let's wish <laughs> me luck. I I bet you it could find its way out into the world, and I would just upset people, and I'd get hate mail. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I, yeah. I, that could be a Twilight Zone episode. Mm-hmm. Oof. Uh, <laughs> yep, that, that's kind of what I'm left with. After think, thinking about that one, it's like, oh, that's that's not right. <laughs> I think the one that I like just it enjoyed the most is Joe's uh the podcasters. Yep. That I just was like the thought of human true crime podcasters trying to solve a fantasy. That was awesome. <laughs> Murder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would just want to know the mechanics of like fantasy podcasting. <laughs> Is it done with magic? Well, I, I, I don't think most of the Fae are into it. It's just those rebellious teenagers that are into a subculture that the parents disapprove yeah. of. <laughs> are, are the ones listening to yes. human podcasts. <laughs> I can tell you as a teacher of creative writing, the Fae are hot. 
Hot. Yeah, it's, 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 we cycle around. Like we're we're definitely past our zombie phase. We we had vampires, then zombies. We're, I think we're into the fae right now, which gives yeah. you so many more options for merchandising. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Todd Peterson, Todd Mack, thank you for coming on with your pitches. Andrew, thank you for uh, for judging this and and giving me the win. I will uh, get you the promised pizza uh, later. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, listeners, uh, let us know which of these you enjoyed. Uh, thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. See ya. I have reclined. Do I? Am I still getting picked up? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Seems oh, all right. Man, recording a podcast from a reclining position sounds glorious. You know what? I I assumed it during the long silences, and I went, "Wait a minute." <laughs> <laughs> Wait. So if I get down here now, then there won't be any creaking, and I'm right. set. I'm gonna have to rethink my layout here. I'm not all the way reclined. <laughs> Let me just say, I'm in an office chair, leaning back. Okay, you're not not full I, I sometimes i hear podcasters that talk about they do the whole episode standing up and that just sounds like hell to me like why i, I was <laughs> i was gonna say you know a lot of people you know try to lean on the standing up because it's better for the diaphragm and everything you've gone for expanding the diaphragm in a totally different dimension <laughs> Look, if i could pull it off i'd go out to the jacuzzi <laughs> little bubbles in the background i like it man hey whatever works 